We are in a series called Blockbuster. We're looking at different movies each week. It's been really fun, actually. And uh, this weekend, we're looking at a movie called The Day After Tomorrow. How many of you have seen it? Yeah, it, the special effects are just crazy. Just un- I don't know how they do that stuff. But it's basically a big storm comes in, wipes out the, the world as we know it, and changes the course of everything because of global warming and the ice chunks are falling into the sea and the ocean gets colder and it creates the storm. And so, so there's a, a lot in the movie, but it's kind of a fun movie. The, the bottom line is it makes you think about could something like this ever really happen? What if, what if today was the last day we know on this earth as we've known life? What if something drastically changed? How, how would that make you feel? Would you be, are you anxious about that, stressed about it? Would you, how many of you are like, bring it on. My life is so screwed up. Anything's an improvement, <laughs> right? So what, what do we do with those feelings, those emotions? Well, take a look at this little movie trailer, kind of give you a feel for the movie. Well, I think, I think to talk about this, we need to just establish a, a couple of things that as we talk about the end of the world and, and living in the end times, we, we have to go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is a passage where Jesus is teaching and he says some really big things and, and it's hard to grasp at all. Now, if you Googled Matthew 24, you could spend five days reading everything that's gonna come up, right? So there's no way in this time frame that we're gonna unpack all this. But, but I do wanna lay a foundation that really does put us into a discussion about end times, what to look for, could we possibly be there, and some kind of theological thoughts about when and how we know we're in the end times. But let me read from Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14. It says this, As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? We always want to know when, don't we? Some things never change. When will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. This gets really good. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. The love of many many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then this final capping verse, which is our hope. And the good news, the gospel, the Jesus story, about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. 
That's why we as a church are doing our best to get this message all over the world. Preaching the gospel, sending missionaries, doing everything in our power. Because that is our hope. I want to just jot to have you jot down a couple things. On the back of your program you can write this down. The first thing is the topic of end times creates controversy and strong opinions. I want to just say that flat out. There are hundreds of different thoughts, processes that we have in these auditoriums today. You have opinions. Some of you have really studied Bible prophecy for years. You have certain thoughts. It, again, there's so many scholars that I actually really like and believe in who disagree on, on even what Matthew 24 says. So we're going to give a lot of room here today. I would, I would like to tell you the two things I think Matthew 24 is saying. And you can disagree if you want. But I think, first of all, Jesus was predicting the destruction of Jerusalem, which did happen in 70 A.D. Those temples that um, he's talking about were completely destroyed and demolished, not one stone on another, completely wiped out. So, so I think that part of Matthew 24 already happened. The second part of Matthew 24, I believe, is talking about the second coming of Christ on the earth to reign and rule. And I do not believe that has happened yet. We are here praying for that to come. And so that's kind of where I land in the eschatological world of Matthew 24. But I can tell you as a pastor all these years, the controversy about end times is big. And here's how it starts. Here's what happens. Is people start piecing together Things from the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, the Matthew 24 passage, other things that are prophecies in the Bible, and they start putting it on timelines, and they start saying, well, that could have happened then, this could have happened there, and almost every one of them comes up with a formula of when it's going to happen next. In, in, in May of 1948, something really significant happened. Anybody remember? I wasn't alive. Many of you weren't. Well, Israel was established as a recognized nation. That triggered the Christian world to go, oh, something big is happening here because the Bible talked about once that happens, then this next generation will not pass away before the end. So 40 years is about what a generation is. So people started doing the math. 1948, 40 years would be 1988. Anybody remember 1988? I was pastoring here in this church. And man, it was something else. Books were written. People were proclaiming 88 reasons. He's coming back in 1988. It was on the news. It was big time. And uh, people were mad at me for not taking this more seriously. I preached one sermon on it and talked about, you know, we don't know the day nor the hour. Don't have to live in fear or worry. But I had people, we actually had a few fringe people who left our church because we didn't turn our gymnasium at the time into a water tank and food and shelter. And they were just sure that it was all going to happen and we better be ready. And, and I just didn't bite that hook. But a lot of Christians panic. And a lot of people have differing views. And so it's very difficult to navigate all those things that can happen. I, I think the second question I would ask you in your outline is, why does it often create fear? Not only controversy, but why is there fear involved when you talk about end times? Fear is often the result of lack of knowledge. Right? I think that's really true. If you, if a spider, if you saw a spider walking across your hand, like 
how many of you that spider would, would be gone pretty quick? Okay? But if you worked with spiders and you knew every species and you saw that this spider could do no harm, it just enjoyed the heat of your hand, you would still get rid of that spider. No, I don't. <laughs> No. Now, if you had full knowledge and you work with them every day, it might not be a big deal to you because your knowledge exceeds your fear. I think fear also can be driven by a belief that you embrace that is not based on a truth. And I think a lot of people have that. It's, it's the fear of something that might happen, but it's really unlikely that it could ever happen. But that's what your imagination is for. It creates scenarios that will never happen, but you know you're in the middle of it happening, especially in a dream. Have you ever had like a nightmare and you wake up and you are sweating and you are terrified and you don't want to go back to sleep for fear you might dream it again? Anybody? It's like it's your imagination. And then while you're laying there trying to get out of it, you start seeing movement in the bedroom out of the corner of your eye. I saw something move. No, you didn't, honey. Go back to sleep. Yes, I did. Listen, listen. Did you hear that? No, I didn't hear that. Someone just opened the door. No, they didn't, honey. It's, it's, it's crazy what happens with your mind when you are afraid and your heart starts to race and adrenaline starts to grow. Fear is a really powerful emotion. And so what happens is we talk about end times and people start to get fearful. And what if? And what if they come and destroy us and they're going to blow us up? And all these things happen. There are some things beyond your control. You can't control climate changes in our world. Wherever you are on the global warming issues, that's something bigger than you. That's, that's a God-sized factor that if it is or if it isn't, it's not going to be something you're going to be able to push a button and fix it. You can't control world economy. It's, it's just bigger than you doing something a little more or harder. You can't control war and terrorism, random acts of violence. I, I just hate that we live in a country where we've had these horrible random acts of violence. It just, it makes me sick. And people are getting afraid to go out. And, and they're, they're hovering in their homes. They're not going out as much. There's, there are challenges that we face because of fear. And fear is real. Another question there, number three. Why does it often create guilt and panic in people? When you start talking about the Lord coming back, or the kingdom of God on the earth, all of a sudden there's this panic, oh no. And I think, I think guilt, I can, I can understand guilt because we always wish we would have done a little better. You know, maybe some of you right here have a relationship that you really, you really need to work on it. It really needs to be fixed. You would hate the fact that if today was your last day on the planet, that you didn't do a little better job working on that because it might be able to be repaired. And so there's some guilt involved there's some panic involved. Panic because we don't always know what to do. You look back in your life and they say hindsight has what? 2020 vision, perfect vision. I would have done that. It's the woulda, coulda, shoulda. And so there's guilt when you start talking about end times and how it's going to end and how your life's going to end. And so we have, to, we have to put some of this stuff aside and ask this question. And it's in your notes. Let's look at what we do know. What are the things that we do know that the Bible does tell us about end times living that we can actually engage in. And I'm going to take you to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and then 2 Timothy chapter 4, okay? Because Peter is, I mean, Paul is writing to Timothy, preparing him for end times. So this is really relevant for what we're talking about today. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. 
You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. You think we're living in times like that? <laughs> yeah, wow. They will be boastful and proud and post all their own pictures on their Facebook page. <laughs> oh, no, it doesn't say that. Sorry. <laughs> Scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel. They will hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless. They will be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. You know, you can look around in our culture and, and find all of these traits pretty quickly. Now, there's three principles after reading a passage like that that I want to put anchors right down in your heart, okay? Three things. The first thing is this. God is in control. You have got to know that and you've got to believe that because if you don't embrace that, you're going to live in panic and you're going to live in fear and you're going to do stupid things. And I don't want you to do that. I don't want us to do that. The church has made a lot of mistakes through the years, the, the big church, people who are followers of Christ, by overreacting over certain things. And, and we lose credibility immediately. I want to talk something about that. God is not nervous. He really is in control. Here's the question. If I said, raise your hand if you believe God's in control, you probably would. But the bigger question is, do your actions indicate that you really believe God is in control? Does your lifestyle indicate that? If I followed you around for a while, would I end up saying, that person knows that God's in control, and they're resting in that. Their faith reveals that about them. Those are important things. Will your faith be bigger than your fear? Because it doesn't mean we will not suffer. As a matter of fact, we will suffer. Both of these passages and the next one talk about our suffering in end times. I wouldn't be surprised that within the next decade we will be facing picketers on our sidewalk on Timberline Road when you drive to come to church because we are not embracing the moral values that our culture is embracing. That's a form of persecution. It's something that we have to think about and give our hearts to and consider where will we be in the mix of trusting God and knowing that he has a plan bigger than me. I need to have a, a faith that's bigger than my fear, a bring it on spirit, not, a, not an arrogant bring it on like some I've seen. You know, it's kind of like in the movie, the vice president in the movie doesn't believe in any of this global warming stuff and he's kind of written it off and made fun of it a little bit and, and in the end, he's proven wrong in a big way. Hey, don't you like movies where they kind of get revenge on somebody? And, and, and I, I'm afraid sometimes Christians feel that way about non-believers. It's like, you didn't listen to us, so there you go. Go to hell. Enjoy your time there. I tried to tell you. Nanner, nanner, nanner. <laughs> I would pray to God that that would never be our take because they didn't listen to our message. And so we have to be careful not to let arrogance or pride when we are proven right. The, the second thing under that section is the timetables are not fully known. 
We, we just don't know. The Bible's really clear. Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour. I do believe when you look at Scripture, you might be able to see seasons, um, signs that we've been re reading about that could usher in those end times. We could be living in those end times right now. But for someone to build a timeline and say, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and so that makes it, you know, 2019 uh, in January. That's, the minute you hear that, you can just go, nope, sorry. And back it up a little bit and look at the times that we are living in. When, um, I mentioned 1988, Y2K was the other one around here that got crazy. I mean, I got emails, I got, uh, again, some fringe people left our church because we didn't, you know, prepare the people and build, you know, I had, I had people wanting to buy semis of food to have in our parking lot and, and buy beds for everywhere in the church so that when everything collapsed, we could be a shelter that was ready. And this, this is thousands of dollars that they were going to spend to do all this. And I love the heart that says we'll help prepare the way if something does happen. That's a really good heart. But we need to be careful about how far we go in response to a maybe. And trust God. If things go awry quickly, then we're going to have to find a way to rally the troops to help serve, to feed, to care for people in those end times. And I think we may see that in our lifetime. I don't know. But I want to be emotionally ready for that. I don't like the prediction game. I think it's unhealthy. And, and if you study Bible prophecy, that's a wonderful thing. Eschatology is a wonderful, and it can consume a lot of your time. But at the end of the day, you're still going to have to walk away and say, I just don't know when, but I know it's going to happen. That's maturity. Let's be careful with that. Number three, the kingdom of God will come to this earth. So these are the three things that you can know that can hold your heart. The kingdom of God will come. Jesus has promised that. And, and our prayer is, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let your kingdom come. He prayed that even in the Lord's Prayer. So we want to make sure that we respond in kindness and grace. What will our response be? That's the next section, and that's where I want to talk about our attitudes about living in the end times. And it's the next chapter in 2 Timothy. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul says to Timothy, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead, when he appears to set up his kingdom. Preach the word. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Get this. This is, this is amazing. They will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and they will chase after myths. We're, we're just so seeing that in our culture right now. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. There's that suffering word again. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has called you to. That's to us as well, you guys. Let's do ministry well. The first thing I put there is this. Be prepared for a world that does not embrace your values. This is hard to talk about. We don't like it. And, and it's, it's really difficult for some people. But you are entering 
a world where people are not sharing your Christian values and they are not believing the absolutes of this book. And they don't care what you think or what you believe. You are becoming a minority in this country and you need to know that. And you're gonna have to respond somehow, especially in America, founded on biblical views. The, the morality crisis is real. And it's not going to just go away. And I, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. So, so what is your response going to be? It really does matter because so many people are just sitting around watching the news, getting so angry and so aggressive, and they're living in almost what I would call masked hate. And they say they're a Christian, but they hate government. They are, a, I mean, you talk to them, they get red in the face. They... They're, they're so angry. And you guys, I just want to tell you, it's, righteousness is a good kind of anger. Jesus threw over the money changers because there was anger in him. There was a righteousness that says, this is not okay. We need that. But we also need to understand that we cannot go out and declare war on people who disagree with our moral stance. We have to somehow trust God to give us favor and to build bridges to these people. Don't just become more aggressive. Let me give you some more ideas. Number two in this. Be diligent in acting responsibly. This is, this is going to be our test as the people of God over the next few decades. And, and I hope you're hearing this. I hope this can go way in your heart because we have got to act responsibly. I'm amazed at what people can justify doing in the name of God. And it's scary. Because it was never God's intention. Jesus could have wiped out all the Jews and all the Romans. He's on the cross. He could have just said, no, nope, I'm done. Boom. But he didn't. He suffered and he bled and he died. He laid his life down. You may be asked to lay your life down. It's, it's a scary time. I, I, I went in a, a sporting goods store the other day not knowing about any of this, and was going to buy some 22 long rifle shells just for target practice and, and just for a fun little day with my kids. And, and they said, we don't have any. Now, if you're not familiar with guns, um, the 22 is a very small caliber. They're inexpensive. And, and I'm not a big gun proponent, but it's just, it's just a fun thing sometimes to do with, with your family. And I said, what do you mean don't have any? They said, well, we're out. We're, we're a, our, the company we buy them from is one million shells backordered. I said, what happened? They said, everybody's buying bullets and guns. I said, really? He said, yeah, look at this counter. He took me over to a counter, and there were like four guns in this whole counter. He said, usually this is full, but everybody's buying guns. And I said, why is everybody buying guns? And he said, because they're scared. They're scared. And they think they better buy it now and get ammo so they can protect themselves. Now, I, you know, your gun issue, that's your, your world. You can do what you want with it. But I'm here to tell you, when end times really come, and if we're approaching them, your little gun isn't going to save you. <laughs> I'm serious. Now, I don't have, I don't have, I have guns. I, I don't have a problem with guns. I hate it that they go into bad hands sometimes and, and wreak havoc in our world. But, but that's that self-preservation piece that I really want to challenge. I want you to think about it. And, and are you really just going to barricade in your house 
with the food you have up there and fight it out? I mean, maybe that's what some people can do or should do. I don't know. But, but I think it's bigger than that. As a follower of Christ, I have to get out of that mindset and say, I'm not born on this earth to save my life. Jesus came to save my life. And sometimes he saves it in death. I'm not afraid to die. Matter of fact, sometimes it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I'm not going to be the protector of my own life. But it's still a dilemma. If you find any 22 long rifles, <laughs> throw me a box, okay? I'll pay you for them. I just can't find them. Okay, last thing. Be prayerful in your attitude and your behavior. Be prayerful in your attitude and your behavior. I want us to, to join together our hearts and pray for our nation today. I... I'm worried about people who, you know, they, they just hate our government. They hate our leadership. They, they don't pray for them. They just despise them. And you probably don't agree with everything that's happened, but what, what is your response as a believer, as a person of faith, to pray for our Congress and our president and our leaders in government, our local leaders? And so as a church, we're just going to do that right now. And then I have a couple other things I want to pray over. But I want to give you one word that I hope you'll write in caps on your notes before we're all done. I, I would love for you to put this word on your fridge or your car or somewhere. It's the word I think God really put in my heart when I said, what does it all boil down to? How am I going to live in end times? And this was the word, stability. We are going to see in end times the biggest lack of, of stability you have ever seen in your life. People are not stable emotionally, spiritually. They are quick to judge. They are quick to react. And you and I have a chance. You know why? If you're stable in your life, you're going to be a magnet to people who are panicked. And they're going to come running to you. And they're going to want to be around you because you have something they don't have. And I believe you can only have that level of stability if you have peace with God and you don't fear or doubt that he's in control. You trust him in that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this moment. Thank you that we can talk about these prophetic words in times and not be scared to death, but to actually be empowered to trust you God, thank you for the will to live and the joy to serve. We pray for our nation right now as a church, oh God. We pray for our president. We pray for our Congress. We pray that men and women who have been placed in these roles will hear from you, that your Holy Spirit would convict them, that they would understand your ways. God that you will have your will be done in their decisions. We can trust you in that. We do believe that. Now give us the stability we need and the peace we need to live in this nation and in this world without fear. I, I wanna pray for some of you who are living a little more afraid than you were 20 years ago or 10 years ago with random crime and violence happening in our world. It, it's pushed people back inside. It's pushed people in, in some weird thinking. And if, if I could pray over you just because fear grips you once in a while and you don't want to live in fear, I'm not talking about lack of wisdom. 
pay attention to your surroundings, but I'm talking about fear that it's gripped you and it's hard for you and you need, you need the Holy Spirit to, to bring you peace today. Would you just slip up a hand if you know that's you right now? Just slip it up and right back down. God bless you. You can just put it right back down. Thank you. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to live in fear. We need the wisdom of God in day-to-day living, that we can go about our day, that we can trust you, that we can live responsibly, but we don't have to be stymied by fear. And I ask you, Lord, to bring hope and peace into these precious hearts who have lifted their hands today and some who didn't lift their hand, who have this this haunting fear in their life that something horrible is going to happen at any time. I just pray for that, that you give them strength. Lord, I also just want to pray for people who have let cynicism and and angst toward government and others and immorality create anger in them and bitterness in them. And the words that come out of their mouth are not really helpful. I just pray you would convict us of that, that you would show us there's a higher calling in our lives than that. You know, if, if that's you and you know it's so frustrating to you right now what's happening in the world that it's turning into bitterness or anger and, and, and I get it. It's easy to just be so disappointed and disgusted. But would you guard your heart and mind? Would you guard the words that come out of your mouth? We really need to pay attention to our own attitudes and spirit. If it is the last days, we're the hope of the world, you guys. And we better be willing to share our lives and not just become critical and bitter at, at, at people who disagree with us. Lord, help me. I start with me. Help me in this area. Help us as a church in this area. Help us to, to love fully and to defend the gospel fully and to believe the truth of the Word of God fully without compromise, but don't let it turn into hate. Help us, Lord, not to be bitter people who didn't get our way, but help us to be loving, kind people who will lay down our lives for lost people. We thank you. God, I trust you in this. For one who may not know you personally, and today you're knocking on their heart, if you're here separated from God, just pray this right now with me. Lord, forgive me of my sin. I come to you now. I need forgiveness. Cleanse me. I trust you. I believe you died on that cross for me, and you rose from the dead. I give you my life and my future by faith. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you, Lord. I want our prayer team to come and be up here available. Some of you just have a need in your life, maybe totally unrelated to the message today. But we want to pray for you. We would like to help in your journey in any way possible. Thank you for coming. If you're a guest today of Timberline, if you have any questions about Timberline, our guest services counter is out there. We're delighted to have you here. I want you to go in the grace of Jesus Christ. And remember, the service starts now. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Thanks for coming to Timberline.